Well, good morning. It's hot out there, and it's only getting hotter. Uh, somebody suggested maybe this would be a good weekend to preach on hell. <laughs> Smog in the air and wildfires. Don't tempt me. <laughs> That's not the plan. Uh, we're talking about Christian living, but uh, we're so glad uh, that you're here. And I want to start by asking this question, and, and maybe this is only wrapped up in my strange brain, but have you ever wondered what is exactly the point of Christian living? Like, what is the point of the Christian life? So in other words, if we're a factory, what, what is the widget that we're trying to produce? What is the end goal? What is the finish line since we're on a track and field theme? Is it just that? Is it, is, is it about death? Like, are we biding our time? Is that the point? Like, what is the point of the Christian life? You see, some of us come uh, to the Christian life and we think the point is to win. We're here to win. We're here to follow uh, the precepts, the rules, the uh, you know, principles, the manual. And if I follow it just right, I'll get enough toys or my relationships will work. I'll be happy. And if I can be blessed and happy and win at life, that's the point of the Christian life. And there's some people that take that line of thinking to an extreme and it becomes heretical. It's where we get the prosperity gospel from. But you don't have to be a prosperity gospel person to think that, oh, the point of the Christian life is to win, to be the best leader, the best man, the best woman, the best student, the best at my job. And I'm going to use, do you catch that word? I'm going to use these principles to get what I want. That's how some of us come to the Christian life. Some of the rest of us, we come to the Christian life more like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, now, I want to reassure you, I, I have never played Dungeons and Dragons, and no, I don't want to be invited to your adult D&D party. I respect it. There's members on our board, members on our staff. They should probably read their Bibles more, but they play Dungeons and Dragons. And I didn't get invited because I know that they knew what answer they would get, but I looked it up on Wikipedia, and as with any board game or any card game, if I'm at your house, hey, we're going to play a game, I want somebody who can clearly explain the rules. No one has ever clearly explained what the point of Dungeons and Dragons is. In fact, Wikipedia says, there is no winner, there's no loser. It's about friends coming together and having a good time. Sometimes they dress up. If I've offended you, D&D head, stick around. It'll be someone else's turn soon. I'm not trying to be mean. But some of us come to the Christian life that way, that it's, that it's about friends having a good time, and sometimes we dress up, right? It's just to have a community, and we think that that's the point. For some of us, the Christian life is like a snipe hunt. Have you ever been snipe hunting? I'm dying to take you. <laughs> And, and, and we don't know what the point is, but we're out there in the dark holding the bag and all of our friends are gone and we're just waiting to see what the point is. What is the point? Maybe it's because I grew up in the Christian ghetto that I think this way. So as we turn to Article 8 of the Free Church Statement of Faith, 
we're looking at Christian living, and I want to turn to God's word because God's word is clear, specifically in the New Testament, about what the point of all this is. We're not just playing dress up. We're not out in the dark holding the bag waiting for a mythological creature. It isn't about he who dies with the most wins because they followed the principles. This is different. This is the gospel. So we're going to use more scripture than we normally do, and I want to start in Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, if you turn with me or a screen you want to find it on, and and I want to take parts of a couple different verses because they all say the same thing, and it's important for us, if you're going to be in this game, if you're going to be on this team, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, we should know what the point is. Do you agree? You can't come to a card game and not know the thing and you're just throwing trump cards and wild cards and all that kind of stuff, which by the way, I also don't know how to play euchre and no, I don't want to learn. (laughs) My wife's got it down. She's my representative, okay? So Romans chapter eight, if we look at verse 29, here's here's our first clue. Speaking about God, he says, for those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, this is in reference to Jesus Christ and and, and to God, his father. When it says those whom he foreknew, he's speaking about God. That God knew from eternity past to eternity future who would receive him and who will reject him. Yes, we have free will, but God also has foreknowledge. And so those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, being Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so there's our first clue that the point of the Christian life is to be conformed to Jesus. If you turn over just to your right, a couple of books of the Bible to 2 Corinthians. Oh, there's a part of me that woke up this morning that was thinking, in this part of the message, I'll hear paper flapping. Or at least tappy tapping, but that's okay. We'll put it on the screen. Don't worry, I've got a Bible, you don't need one. Well, you tell me. We're talking about the statement of faith. I could be saying anything. I could find a verse in a magazine I found in a hedge. And some of us would be like, oh, right, yeah, these are the colors for spring. Okay. (laughs) I say that in love, but I'm also being serious. People, find your Bibles. Hello. We want to be a Bible church. The people has Bibles or at least the screen. So tap a tap. Here we go. That was a bunny trail. We'll probably edit that out from the online thing. Manistee, good morning. We love you. (laughs) Second Corinthians chapter three in verse 18, it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory To another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So there's another clue. In Romans, it says that we're to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Here, it says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory 
to another. We're being changed. There's movement. There's something happening in us. And I love the fact that here in 2 Corinthians, it points to a process. We're being changed. It's not all at once. And our microwave culture doesn't like that. So the point of Christianity is to be conformed to the image of the Son, here to be transformed, being transformed into the same image. Now, if we go just a few verses over, now we go, or our books over, we go to Galatians chapter 4. We're using a lot of scripture today, that's why I was on about the Bible. Galatians chapter 4, again, we're moving to the right, I did this in order so it'd be easy. If you go to Ephesians, you've gone too far. We're going there next though. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse 19, or is it 20? 19 and 20, it says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So this is Paul talking about the Galatian church. And, and he's talking about his work. It's not a glamorous job. It's a hard job. It's, it's, it's a job that's cost him greatly, physically, emotionally, mentally. He doesn't have much of a home life. He's traveling from place to place. And he likens it, ladies, don't get mad, but he likens it to, it says, I am again in the anguish of childbirth. It's like giving birth. That's how much pain and agony is going on. But with the joy that comes after until Christ is formed in you. Are you starting to pick up on the point? We're to be transformed into his likeness. We're being conformed. We're being transformed until Christ is formed in you. And then finally, and this is where we'll end, is in the book of Ephesians. And I thought about just standing up here and just reading the entire book of Ephesians today, but that would have been (laughs) cruel and unusual. (laughs) Not that Ephesians is, but we just, you know, you'd fall asleep. Um, Ephesians moves like this. In chapter one, he starts out in this letter to the church. He calls, or he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the Christians. And then at the beginning of chapter two, he says, and once you were dead in the trespasses and in your sins. So he calls them Christians. So he's talking to us. He's gonna remind them of the point. He says, remember, you used to be dead in sin. And then in verses 8, 9, and 10, he reminds them how they came alive. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, by a show of hands here in Manistee, has anyone heard us talk about that verse at all from the stage? Is it vaguely familiar? Praise God. So you don't have your Bible, but at least you've heard me talking about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Because it's an epic verse. The guys in my fight club, I make them get out a pen and underline that, memorize that, don't ever forget it. It's one of the touchstones in all of scripture that you can hang your hat on, you can hang your life and faith on. It's worthy of reading again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by works, not by your own doing, it says. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is the only way we're saved, by grace through faith. Do you believe that? That's good news, but there's verse 10. Here's the point. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you're starting to pick up the theme. Romans 8, you're to be conformed to his image. 
2 Corinthians 3, we're being transformed. In Galatians 4, until Christ is formed in you. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace through faith for a reason, for good works. God loves you exactly the way you are, but he also loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you the way he found you. Because all of us are jacked up. And the ones who think they're not are the worst kind of jacked up. (laughs) Then if you flip over to Ephesians chapter four, here's a longer passage, he explains it. And this is for all of us. Man, woman, teenager, child, this is for all of us. This is the exhortation. This is the point. Verse 17 of Ephesians four. Now I say this, And testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you wondered what is the point of this Christian board game, what is the point of Christian living? What is the point of the wake up every week, go and worship together, read your Bible, pray, apply the things that we learn to our lives when we get home and don't forget them by Wednesday night. What is the whole point? The New Testament is clear to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus is being formed in our lives, that God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us, and that is for us to put off the old self and put on the new self. God is in the business of changing people, and no one who has really met Jesus ever walks away unchanged. All throughout the New Testament, every interaction that anyone has with the living Christ, there's change. Usually for the good, sometimes not. And so that's a moment for us to examine our own lives. The whole point of this is God Yes, he wants to save you. Yes, he wants to spend eternity with you. Yes, he wants us to be in community with one another. But the point of what he's trying to do is shape you and shape me and shape us into the image of his son. That's what he's trying to do. That's the point of the Christian life. Ooh, I need to take a breath. That's the point. He's trying to make us like Jesus. He's trying to make you like Jesus more and more like Jesus. And it doesn't happen all at once. We'll get to that in a minute. 
You know, I know many of us, we may have grow, grown up in a background where they kind of taught that it was some sort of a magical thing. And, and if you prayed hard enough or you had enough of the tingle, you know, kind of, you know, Holy Spirit experience that somehow you will magically get up from an altar, walk away, and you never swear again. You never get drunk again. You never lie, cheat, steal, lust. And it was just glory to glory from there on. It was just, I was down here and now I'm like a rocket man, you know, going this way. It never stops. And if you've been around Christianity for a minute, you know it's not like that. You were down here, and you, you know, went the rocket, and then you splashed down, and then you came up, and then it got really sketchy, and then, you know, and it's more like this. It's more like the of real life, right? It's a process. It's a process. The free church statement of faith articulates all of these scriptures and others this way. Article 8, Christian living. It says, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love him supremely, another sacrificially, and to live out our faith with care for one another. Compassion toward the poor and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the spirit's power and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. Now, I think that's an epic statement of faith. And my hope and my prayer is that next uh, Sunday night, our members will vote to adopt that and the rest of the free church statement of faith. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons is I love what it says in that first sentence. Don't miss it. So we're going to get theological for a minute, but you can handle it. You can handle it. We can handle it. We're the tabernacle, right? We're going to learn a little something for some of us. For some of us, it'll be a review, and some of you will think that I should have said it better, but we're all going to get along in this happy community called church. Look at that first statement. We believe, and this is the Christian Orthodox belief, that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power. Now, what are they on about? What is, what is that in reference to? Now, let me make clear I believe that when Jesus came, sent by God the Father to die for our sins, he didn't die so that by faith we could become slaves again to something else. God died to set us free. To set us free from the power of sin and from the presence of sin. That's why he died. There had to be a perfect sacrifice to pay for my sin and your sin. And his death broke the power of sin, but he also died to break the presence of sin. So there's two words we need to understand, and they're right there in that first sentence of the statement of faith. It says, we believe that, that God's justifying grace. So this word justify or justification, justification. This is a theological term that should be very important to you. Justification is the work that Jesus did in order to make me and you right with God. This is salvation. 
So what it means is like Barabbas, and we talked about him a few weeks ago, like Barabbas, I was under the penalty of death. There was a death sentence over my life. And there's a death sentence over every person's life who's ever been born except Jesus, the only one born without sin. And so there's a death sentence over our lives. I'm to pay that penalty. Well, Jesus died so that I could be justified. The same way that Barabbas was supposed to die that day and instead the crowd called for him, who shall I give you? This one who I can find no sin in, Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd that day yelled, give us Barabbas, let his blood be on our head. And so Barabbas, who was guilty, walked free. He was justified and declared righteous. So the righteousness of Jesus was put on him. And the sin of Barabbas was put on Jesus and Jesus hung on a cross. And by the way, your sin and my sin was also put on Jesus and he hung on a cross. And so justification, this is why I was saying underline Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace, you are saved through faith. Barabbas didn't do anything to get saved except say, yes, I want that. I'll walk out the door. Thank you. I'm out of here. And he's free, declared righteous. Same thing with you and me. And that's God's justifying grace. Anyone excited about that at all? Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want eternal damnation. I don't want to be punished. I want to spend eternity with God. I want to be blessed. All the stuff it says in Ephesians chapter one are mine when I'm justified. What does it say in Ephesians chapter one? That we're chosen, that we're adopted, that we're loved, that God's grace is lavished, that we're heirs, that we're blessed, that we're given gifts. We got all this litany of things in Christ because I'm justified. That is the justification that comes through Christ. But there's another word that ends in I-O-N and it's called sanctification. Sanctification. And that's why the free church statement says, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power. Justification dealt with the power of sin sanctification deals with the presence of sin. That means I'm adopted, but I don't know the language yet. I've been set free, but I still got some old habits. I've been declared righteous, but I don't always act that way. Well, thankfully, God's power is still available. God's power can break the presence of sin in my life. You see the difference? The power of sin means I'm condemned. That's done. I'm saved. Thank God. Can we sing Amazing Grace real quick? You know, something, yeah, right? But he doesn't stop there. Remember what the point is. To be conformed into the image of his son until Christ is formed in you. We're being transformed into his image. Put off the old self and put on the new self. The problem with the story of Barabbas is we only hear about his justification. We don't know if his life ever changed. We don't know anything else. I'd like to think that when he was saved from the cross, saved from execution, maybe he would straighten up and fly right. Hopefully, he came to faith in Jesus Christ when he heard about the resurrection. I don't know, and you don't know. It's all speculation. I can't worry about him. I need to worry about me, and we need to worry about us. Because what it says here is that God's justifying grace 
must not be separated from his sanctifying power. So justification, I'm declared righteous. Sanctification, I'm being made righteous. Now, the best illustration I can come up with uh, uh, is T-ball. Okay? Can you go? It's summertime. Can you go there with me, America? All right. So T-ball, I don't know when they start, five or six. It's way too early because it's torture for the parents and the coaches. This is true. But, but here's the deal. You're justified the moment you sign up for the T-ball team. You get the uniform. You get the half pants. You know, you get the stirrup socks that nobody knows why we're still wearing those in 2023. You know, but, but the kids look so cute. They're on the team. And because it's 2023, if they stick it out, good or bad, they all get a medal. Right? They all get a trophy. You're on the team. You made it. That's justification. You could be the worst player. You could be the best player. In T-ball, you're a winner. Did you have fun, Billy? Right? That's all that it's about. That's all that it's about. That's justification. And that happens before the first game. But through the course of the season you got these parents, the parent coaches, pulling out their hair, trying to teach them this game. That's the sanctification. They're already winners. They're on the team. They got a uniform. But the shortstop's got his finger in his nose. Second base, he's crying about something. He wants his iPad at second base. And his mom said, you can't have your iPad at second base. Right field is chasing a butterfly. Center field and left field are, are, are having a chat because one's a boy and one's a girl and one thinks the other one's cute and I don't know. And, and there's a, a hard hit, there's never a hard hit ball in T-ball, but whatever, a ball goes rolling past everyone and coaches are like, come on, come on, get the ball, do what, throw it. Right field stops with the butterfly, picks up the ball, chucks it over the center field fence. Well, that's church. (laughs) We're learning the game, right? And the hope is, is that by the end of the season, everybody's on the team. They learned something about the game. They were somewhat interested in progressing in the game. That's the best I can do. We're justified by God's grace. And the power of sin is broken in us, but we're sanctified also by his power. Now watch this. You see those two words? I want them left up there for a reason. Both of those, God gets the glory and it's his power. Both of those require my yes to some degree or another. We are not all God's children. Just because you're born in the human race does not make you God's child. Only his children are those who've said yes to God and receive Christ by faith. You see that? So at least you, you, don't, you didn't earn it. But the only way you're justified is you got to give him the first yes. Guess how you must be sanctified? It's also by saying yes. Yes, a little bit every day. It requires my participation. 
I can hear about it. I can read about it. I can learn about it. I can be convicted about it. I can be led to do it. But if I don't give him my yes, I'm not going to progress. And the image of Christ isn't going to be fully formed in me. I can put the brakes on sanctification. And some of us have put on the brakes for sanctification for decades. And if the Bible is true and that statement of faith is true, you cannot separate the first from the second. I wasn't sure about this statement, but I double-checked it with, with, a, with a theologian friend. Watch this. If you are interested in God's justification, but you have no interest in his sanctification, you may not be saved. And there's a whole bunch of churches and a whole bunch of Christians that are peddling a cheap grace. Oh, God loves me. Oh, God forgives me. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do. Saved by grace, struggle is the glory. Are you really struggling? I'm saying this because I love you, Tabernacle. And I fear for some of us. Going to church does not equal following Jesus. Even if you have perfect attendance. We say yes to God and we receive his grace. But he's in the process of transforming us changing us, conforming us to the image of his son. And that requires me to continually say yes. So here's my question. Have you been more interested in the justification than in the sanctification? Don't mishear me. You can't earn it. But I'm going to tell you, if someone's truly saved, if someone has truly met Jesus Christ, if he's personal, they're going to want to be more and more like him. And it's not going to be perfect, rocket man. No. It's going to be a journey. It's going to be a journey. But you're on it. And you're in it to win it. What is the journey? Well, that was that other epic statement in the Article 8 when it said that God commands us to love him supremely another sacrificially. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially. At our church, you've seen uh, our mission statement uh, around. uh, You've seen it in our lobbies. You've seen it on our website where we say, love God, love people, make disciples. This is another way of saying that, that God commands us to love him supremely. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Matthew 22, we see the same command repeated. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That what it, that's what it means to love him supremely. What is the highest love of your life? What is the highest love of your life? If it's not God, you're not living up to the standard yet. I wish I could say that... 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the the highest and most supreme love in, in my 
life that has all my attention and all my affection is God. I can't say that. But I know that God is forming Christ in me. And the older I get, the more I see that all the rest of it doesn't really matter. And that he's the only thing that matters. We're commanded to love him supremely. Jesus said the second command is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means when it says to love others sacrificially. To love others sacrificially. Jesus came and gave himself away. If you come to Christianity hoping that you can win, if you come to Christianity just looking for a good time in a community, you're not looking to love others sacrificially. You're really chasing experience for yourself. Jesus gave himself away. I'm called to give myself away. Jesus gave himself away. You're called to give yourself away. To love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable. This is what loving God and loving people is about. There's words like how we care for one another, how we show compassion for one another, compassion for the poor, Compassion for the fatherless. Compassion for the abandoned woman. Compassion for the person that keeps falling down over and over and over. Compassion for the addict. Compassion for the lost. Compassion for those who don't believe the way we believe. They're not the enemy. We're called to love them. It says we're to combat evil in the world wherever it rears its ugly head. How do we do this? In word and in deed and with our giving and with our attitudes. You see, Christian means little Christ. I'm not Christ and you're not Christ. But as Christ lives in me and Christ lives in you, he's sending us out as little Christs to be like him to the world. And if you're only interested in his justification and you're not interested in the sanctification, that's why I'm saying I'm not sure you're saved and you should probably take a hard look inside. That's like saying I'm so glad that Jesus died for my sins, but I want to stay a little bit racist. Because Jesus was? oh, I want to be saved by Jesus' grace, but you know what? I just want to be a little bit abusive because Jesus was abusive. What's the matter with you? Those two go together. And we can fill in the blanks and I should probably keep going. We're called to love God and love people and to make disciples. This is the great commandment and the great commission. Making disciples is hard. It requires a sacrifice. It requires a sacrifice on the part of of the one who's becoming a disciple. Making disciples requires a sacrifice of the rest of us because making disciples is hard. We're like the t-ball coaches. We, We can't figure out the game ourselves, but we're chasing that kid and consoling the second baseman and saying, no, the iPad, you don't need it. It's Fight Club. We're the one pulling third base back to his position and saying, no, just stay there, okay? It's a hot corner, man. It's a hot corner. It's coming right in your teeth, even though it's T-ball. You guys with the baseball analogies? I'm working hard up here. I'm a soccer guy. 
Love God, love people, make disciples. Easy to remember. Hard to live out. It's not a slogan. God forbid it just becomes a slogan. Oh, we should come to our church. You know, we just love God and love people, make disciples. We keep it real simple. We're not into all that theology stuff. We're just trying to help people remember, love God, love people, make disciples. It's not a slogan. It's a lifestyle. It's what we're about. And if you're a Christian who's been justified by his grace, it's what you're called to be about. It's what you're called to be about. For some of us that have been thinking, if I show up every once in a while, look, I prayed the prayer and you're thinking that that justification is enough, hopefully today was a warning that there's sanctification that God wants to do in you as well. And you might need to take a hard look at your salvation to see if it's real. No one ever said you're going to be perfect. I never said you're going to be sinless. I never even said the process would be perfect. But are you at least interested in saying yes to being conformed into his image? As difficult as that might be. If you're on that road, I want to encourage you. Christ is being formed in you. It's being formed in us. If you're not a Christian, this would be a great weekend to become one. If you are a Christian, this weekend we're going to celebrate communion together. So I'm going to invite you into an attitude of prayer if you bow your heads with me. It's a perfect time to take communion, to talk about the Lord's death, because it centers us back into the the reason we have this justifying power and the reason we can experience his sanctifying presence. Scripture says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you and that we should take and eat it in remembrance of what he would do on the cross. And then afterwards, he took a cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Again, blood that is given for us, a symbol of his shed blood that would save us. We're commanded by Jesus that as often as we eat and drink in this manner, that we remember his death. We commemorate it until he comes. This is communion, our shared faith and our belief in God together as a church and with God through his Holy Spirit. Now, Paul commands that if you're not a Christian, this table is not for you. And so we respectfully ask that you would sit out and no one will look at you different. But he also says to the Christian who has unrepentant sin, or unforgiveness in his or her heart, and you have no intention of making it right, that you should also sit this one out. And I only say this to your warning not to be a legalist. And I invite you to make things right with God. Father God, I thank you for your word and for your truth. I thank you for your purpose and your plan 
I thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who you sent as an offering for us. Jesus, I thank you for your love and for your forgiveness and for your grace, for your sinless perfection, for your beauty. Thank you for taking my punishment and our punishment, for enduring the cross and scorning its shame. Thank you for defeating Satan's sin and death through your resurrection, for ascending and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Holy Spirit, thank you for your conviction, for your guidance, for your counsel, for the hope that you bring. Spirit, I pray right now that you would invade our hearts and that those that don't know you today would make a decision to say yes to God and become a Christian. And those who have been relying only on your justification and have had no interest in your sanctification would take one baby step of yes today. So God, we dedicate this to you. And we thank you for the Christian life and the fact that you want to change us into the image of your son. And it's in his name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.